0: Also, a tin teardrop. But I'm doing well, well, I run on laser (laughs) beams. Hello, and welcome to Track by Track Presents Trout Mask Replica. Uh, My name is Joel Bacher. I'm guest hosting for Darren Husted. And we are going track by track through all 28 tracks of Don Van Vliet and his Magic Band's 1969 Opus Trout Mask Replica. Uh, Today we are discussing Well, which is track three from side three. Trout Mask Replica. This was presumably recorded at Whitney Studios with the other full band recordings. This is an a cappella track. It's unusual for the of the three a cappella tracks on this album. That is the only one that appears to be a a actual studio recording rather than being recorded on a portable tape recorder. Um, Personnel on this one is, as for all the a cappella tracks, really easy because it's just Don Van Vliet. Uh, The track is two minutes and seven seconds long. Uh, My guest today is my very good friend, David Lipson. Uh, He is a professor at San Diego State University and fellow uh, aficionado and occasionally, uh, in his case, composer of uh, uh, outside uh, avant-garde music. David, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: I hesitated over outside avant-garde. There's um, an album that uh, Van Fleet and Zappa did together years later called Bongo Fury, and um, there's a line on one of the tracks on there. Uh, I think it's on Deborah Cadabra, where, is it? No, Sam with Showing Scalp Flat Top, where where Van Vliet refers to music from the other side of the fence, which <laughs> is a really great description for the kind of music that immediately attracts both David and my attention. So,
1: and annoys uh, the neighbors.
0: And annoys the neighbors. So, yeah, uh, a fellow aficionado of music from the other side of the fence, David Lipson. Um, so, this is another a cappella track um it is in the style of uh i guess a field holler it would be the best description of it it's uh, kind of intoned rather than sung um seems to focus on two it, it's it to my untrained ears it sounds like a, a chant of two notes although david i think you mentioned that you hear some almost microtonal variations in the this vocal performance
1: Oh yeah, the uh, he slides up to those two notes, um, and they they're pretty specific intervals. Um, so, but still, you could it's pretty much fair to call them two notes with uh, with maybe uh, a whole tone below each note thrown in <laughs> for emphasis.
0: And and on an album of truly striking vocal performances, this is one of the one of the uh, standouts for me even though it is, yeah, it's just those two notes, but he is really belting it. And there's a, a touch of reverb on his voice, which gives it this kind of Old Testament prophet vibe. And uh, Eric Kudas says, Van Vliet, sing chants this song from the very bottom of his register. And the resulting ominousness lends the song an air of unhinged dirge-like prophecy.
1: <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, it's a very powerful performance. And the first thing you hear is like, Wow, he can make his voice sound like, like Howlin' Wolf, but yeah, maybe more like a darker, prophetic. Uh, yeah, sound of more of an old spiritual than a blues yeah, song.
0: An old preacher, old preacher kind of voice.
1: Because he's singing unaccompanied, it allows his voice to to go into the most natural sort of scale. So, to geek out on this, um, it's all in just intonation. So using natural uh, overtones. So the the minor third that he's singing is, and I did not just trusting my own ear, I I actually went in and looked at the, uh, did some signal processing on this just to make sure I wasn't fooling myself. But So it is a, um, what you could call a six-five ratio. That's the minor third between the sixth and fifth overtone. So it's just the just intonation minor third. It's a, a few cents sharper than like the standard on a piano and, and then um, the seventh, when he's going like, um, swooping up from the lower register, it's a an eight seven, meaning like, it's a slightly wider whole tone. So it's a very natural sounding key that he's singing in it, that uh, I think comes out of just a purely vocal tradition. Like if you don't have to work on tuning your instruments and making them be able to change keys, you can just sing as freely as you want. and Kind of sure. end up with this scale.
0: So, so in this case, then it, with him singing that, were if he were accompanied by an instrument that was not just intonated on this, I'm I'm presuming it would sound off slightly.
1: Well, like he actually would have I,
0: to adjust his voice to to the instrument.
1: I think you find quite a lot that vocalists will sing this way, even with some underlying like equally tone, tuned like guitar or piano. Um, so it I think because it's such a natural uh, I, I think if you were to really emphasize the same note on a piano, it would you would hear it. It's enough to hear a difference. Um, but if you were just playing along with an, an old guitar, <laughs> even without a slide on it, uh, I think to our ears it would still sound fine just because we're used to the blues.
0: Sure. And yeah, popular music is not always like ex, you know tuned to absolutely perfect concert, concert pitch to begin yeah. with.
1: But it's, it's $0.16 cents off, just to give you some uh, – assuming he's singing it perfectly, which as far as I could tell, it was about – so 16, 16% of a of a half-step off. <laughs> you know, that's how – and we can hear that, I think.
0: That, I, that's one of the main one of the many reasons I'm very, very grateful to have you as a guest on this show because that's not something I ever would have picked up. But that's very, very interesting. It does put him, like, like really in that, that tradition of – the purely vocal, purely human, like the original instrument is is the human voice. And that, you know, he he is in this track, has the freedom to, to express this, you know, intone this music in a way that's not constrained by any of the uh, tuning structures that we have imposed on composition in the yeah, 20th century. It,
1: it adds to just that powerful, stark quality of it, just him and, and the sort of echoing silence around his voice. It's just uh yeah. I know how to describe it. Biblical, apop- apocalyptic, metal AF.
0: Metal. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty metal by, by uh, Van Vliet's stand on an album. That's frequently like very colorful and playful in the lyrics. This is one of the darker tracks lyrically. Um, I think probably if we're, and uh, to, to, um, let the listener in a little bit, David and I are recording several episodes on the acapella tracks all kind of in a row. So there's other songs on this album that I, we haven't gotten to yet, or, or I haven't gotten to yet, depending on who's going to be, uh, guesting with me. I think in term like lyrical, uh, bleakness, probably Dachau blues is, is the, the most is the grimmest track on this record specifically because it's dealing with a, a very real world tragedy. Um, this is, this is not, this is a kind of a dream state song, but the imagery is filled with kind of apocalyptic, uh, ser- sorts of images. Um, right. you, you mentioned, um, uh, biblical. I actually was, uh, in research for this, I was looking at the book of revelation because the, some of the, the, um, the dream imagery in this put, put me in the mind of, uh, I, I made it. The first beast was like a lion and the second beast, like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the four beasts had each of them, six wings about them. And that's all, you know, that's book of revelation. And then, uh, Van Vliet has the, the thick black felt birds flying with capes of solid chrome, feathers of solid chrome and beaks of solid bone, bleach the air around them, white and cold. Uh, which
1: yes. I, I just love the palette. So, uh, there he mentions the red raft of blood, um, the big black shiny bug, and uh, the so there's like red, black, white, and metal colors, which are yep. all very funereal. So d- different cultures uh, have used different colors to represent death. Obviously, Western culture black is predominant, but there's white and red in other cultures, and and then the use of them here is all very funereal of striking death imagery. And
0: that, it, it connects back also too, to that like, you know, pre contemporary society, pre contemporary popular music, like when, when darkness comes, you know, th- you, the world is, you know, you, you huddle by your fire and the world is no longer safe. The kind of very primal things in the darkness that are, are danger. There's this track on uh, lick my decals off baby called Dr. Dark which just kind of envisions the coming of night in this terrifying apocalyptic, like, Oh shit, the sun's going down. Everybody run, you know, just the kind of very basic (laughs) primal fear of darkness and, and, uh, being vulnerable and human in the face of the natural world.
1: But he's doing well, but he's doing well. (laughs) So that's something I, I, I think is really interesting is the repetition of, of well. And, um, I mean I think it evokes a deep dark hole in one hand yep, but but also I'm thinking of old blues, right so um, in particular and I, there's probably a lot more references, but the one I'm more familiar with is muddy waters mm-hmm. oh, will and uh, it just sort of that resignation and persistence or as the Finns might call it sisu, <laughs> but yeah, it's a hard place I'm living, but I'm doing well and uh, I don't know.
0: No, I like the, yeah. Resignation and persistence is a great like the the um, the narrator of this vision is is continuing on even in the, the face of these um, these terrifying um, these terrifying dream visions that he's experiencing. Um, the in the Mike Barnes's book, uh, he says. Here, causal narrative is eschewed in favor of a juxtaposition of image-rich snapshots within a feeling of impending darkness, a hypnagogic, I'm not sure if I'm saying that word right, hypnagogic state, hypnagogic state, something like that, Uh, with the mind filled against its control on the edge of sleep. So yeah, he does, at some point, I'm trying to find the line, um about yeah i sense the thickest silent scream then i begin to dream so halfway through the song he's he's slipped into into a dream state although he earlier than that he already saw the white ice horse melted like a spot of silver which seems like a dream image um ice horse i suppose could be a nightmare uh ah, mare clever. the I could be, I'm just pulling that out of my butt. That could be absolutely off, but that was the first thing that, that then its mane went last, then disappeared the tail. My life ran through my veins, whistling hollow will. And there are these various, um, that's a wonderful uh, image. And it sound, really is, isn't it?
1: Because I'm always told, you just re- maybe think of this that, um, and I want to try this myself get into like an isolation chamber where you can't hear anything, and suddenly the sound of your own blood rushing through your veins becomes. Uh, this unrelenting torrent of sound. And so the that whistling through his veins line um, sounds like he's deep in his own being and listening to the nightmarish sounds of his own yeah.
0: body. Yeah, he's hearing the red raft of blood that's going through his own <laughs> veins in that moment. And the ocean swarm and body could just be all, you know, his own, the sound of his own body in his ears the the rush of blood to the head oh, yeah the um the there's a lot of like um I can't for of course I'm as I'm recording the word is escaping me but self contradictory images or um uh, oxymoronic images like he's got the uh, hard soft shell um <laughs> uh, solid nice. motion um th- thickest silent scream or silence scream i'm not sure which it is um
1: yeah it's the juxtaposition of opposites
0: black felt sense. birds flying which then have capes and feathers of solid chrome beaks solid bone i guess those aren't contradictory but the it's it's quite an image
1: at least for a big black shiny bug the hard shell and the soft uh, that made sense to me because a Hard shell with the squishy innards of a big, black squishy, bug.
0: squishy bug. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such a great, like um, primal animistic kind of image, like, Oh, night's coming. That means the big blo- bug is blocking out the sun. It's it's, it feels very much like something from folklore, you know, of, of some, uh, you know, some pre, uh, some early, early society's way of understanding the sun going down.
1: Yeah, this is such a a powerful um, primitive sort of expression of of darkness. It's um, and again, I love the fact that it's a cappella, but I'm wondering if any if it has been covered by any metal bands cuz it would probably really work.
0: Well, I speaking of covers, and I discovered this literally minutes before we started recording today, so I've only had a chance to listen to this once. This song was covered by, of all people, David Byrne from the Talking Heads. He did a version of this um, on one of his concert tours uh, post Talking Heads, one of his solo, for one of his solo albums. And there's a recording of it on YouTube, and I'm gonna I'll include the link um, when I send this to Darren, and maybe see if I can get a little snippet of it he um what i had read was he would cover it occasionally with an acoustic guitar backup but on this recording he's doing it just against a drum machine which i feel kind of works a little better because um it's got it maintains the starkness of of van vliet's version there's you know the only musical accompaniment is the boom bap of a drum machine that with a beat that sounds suspiciously like we will rock you, I have to say.
1: <laughs> Which only makes it more sinister, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. And he only goes up to, uh, he, he stops, I don't know if it's just the recording ending, because it is a live recording, or if he actually only did part of the song, but he stops at the line uh, about, my mind cracked like custard, ran red until it sealed, turned wooden and rolled like a wheel, well, well, that, that's where uh, Burn ends the song. Which leaves out the the thick black felt birds, which I think is a shame. The great final line of the the hollow cane clicked like ever after its shadow vanished, shine in silence.
1: Yeah the uh, the lyrics are uh, it's it's wonderful how they're just laid bare in this in this song and and they just sort of ring in your ears after you hear it um, and yeah so it, I think it makes sense to accompany it, not at all or with a cheesy drum machine if you prefer
0: <laughs> yeah the, it, it emphasizes the starkness of the images and the um and i have to say burn uh, he's he's singing in a higher key than than van vliet obviously his voice is not into that baritone bass range but he he um he does justice to the song in my in my estimation he also um he maintains some of Van Vliet's idiosyncratic pronunciations, like the now. Now that I'm looking at it, I always heard the first line: "Night floats down day river on a red raft of blood." I always heard "day" as if he were pronouncing it like a vernacular "the," like mm-hmm. "oh down day river," um in kind of an old Southern or old, you know, somewhat stereotypically black vernacular. But he could actually, looking at the lyrics, he could simply be saying "day river." Like I, the river of I the agree. daytime,
1: yeah. That's uh, I took it initially to be uh, day, but uh, as in the, but then in contrast with um, the next line about the the big black shiny bug, uh, bug <laughs> I realized it is a contrast of day. Day river was the red raft of blood and the the night blocking out the heavens. Um, so.
0: Because later on he does say it's a hard place dat I'm living. He pronounces it with a D, hard place dead I'm living. Um, and uh, I mean, we obviously do not have anywhere near the time or scope to discuss the, you know, the fact of a white man singing in a, you know, in what could be presumed to be a traditionally black vernacular voice. Um, it's you know by contemporary standards i think that would probably qualify as problematic um i we don't i don't think that not only do I, is that outside of the scope of this discussion as a couple of white dudes we're probably not the best people to be figuring that one out but i did want to, i did want to mention it and say that yeah it, i mean it's it's that's just infused in history of contemporary popular music you can't escape the the element of race um right. and the... Right. Going back as far as the white boy who could sing black, Elvis Presley.
1: Well, I was going to mention Elvis, and I was going to say that uh, comparing and contrasting, (laughs) there's appropriation and there's influence. And um, obviously, blues has made American music what it is. Um, And I think Don Van Vliet is not in any commercially exploitive way influenced by it. Elvis, you could certainly make the case, was repackaging this stuff for a white audience mm-hmm. so at least in his defense this guy was not working towards any particular audience but himself i think
0: yeah and when you know when you're talking about a song that then moves into images of you know ice horses melting and mines cracking like custard you're 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 moving away from it's it's not simply an imitation of a field hauler he's working in the the um with the basis of with the field hauler as the initial influence and then using it to express something very personal and unique, which is not to say that there's not a, a problematic element to it as well. That's, and that's also, yeah, that's just the history. You cannot escape that in the history of contemporary popular music. It is all derived from, from forms developed and perfected by, uh, by the black Amer- American musical uh performers, and writers.
1: And, um, and this guy has an amazing voice. Um, I think that uh, there's, this doesn't sound, um, I, I think that he's digging deep for this particular sort of really biblical um, imagery. Uh, he's singing. I don't, I don't feel it's affected you know, I feel like no, I totally agree. He, I think he's he's singing from from his gut. At least that's as an audience. I, that's what I said. Uh, but you're right. Obviously, like the sociological implications are way beyond me. Probably get into a lot of trouble if we keep talking about it more.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's definitely a slippery slope for for us to be to be discussing. I just I wanted to acknowledge that I'm the you know we're not blind to it. Um, but yeah, the. There, there doesn't feel to be, this doesn't feel like a put on in any way. He's, um, he's belting this one out with, with everything he's got. So I think that that pretty much covers what we, uh, we had about, well, um, this is the uh, second of the three uh, acapella songs on the album. Last one being Orange Claw Hammer, which is, is one of my personal favorite songs on the record. Uh, so I believe that's going to do it. Um, the uh, for my uh, guest, David, I will once again uh, plug his musical project of evil Dr. Lipschitz. Um, I'm going to uh, include the, ask Darren to include the link for that along with this material. Uh, David, did you have any, anything you want to to say in wrapping up? Well,
1: love the song. Uh, it's metal as fuck.
0: It really is metal as fuck. And uh, it's it it is begging for uh, a good doom metal interpretation so if there's any any doomers who are listening to this podcast you've you've got you've got a song to cover and so uh, i will see you back here uh, for the next episode so thank you for listening After it's shadow vanish shine in silence well well